My brothers and sisters, this morning I'd like to focus on our first reading um, from the, the prophet Zechariah. In the prophet, Zechariah is no exception. The prophets in general, they really kind of did three things. First of all, they rebuked the nation of Israel for their sins, the sins of idolatry, the sins of oppressing the poor, and other such sins. And then they also talked about judgment, that God was going to bring judgment upon the nations, on the different oppressors of the people of Israel, like the Assyrians or the Babylonians, so forth and so on. But they did a third thing, and that is they prophesied about the future, and they gave the people of Israel a message of hope, and they spoke about the coming of the Messiah and the messianic age that the Messiah would bring into the world. Now, oftentimes that prophetic future is put forth to us in images that really were proper to the Israelites' own experience back in the day, 2,500, 2,600, 2,700 years ago. Okay, And so they, it was a message really about Jesus. And it was a message about the sacraments that Christ would institute, the Mass. It was a message about the church that Jesus would establish with his blood. But all of that content and topic of the prophecy was portrayed in earthly terms. These spiritual things were portrayed in earthly terms that the Israelites could understand. Terms that were drawn from their own experience as a particular nation in the midst of other nations. So, in our prophecy today, we see the Messiah who's going to come. He's going to be riding a donkey, which is a symbol of peace, as opposed to a horse, which is a symbol of war. Okay, And he's going to banish the horse. He's going to banish the chariot. He's going to banish the warrior's bow from the land, and he's going to bring peace. Now, it was literally fulfilled in that Christ, the beginning of Holy Week, entered Jerusalem, seated on a donkey. So there is a little literal fulfillment there. But if you look at the prophecy in its context, and you look at it in a, in a more fuller light, you see the Messiah portrayed as a king bringing peace to the whole world through his dominion. Through his rule, it's like the kingdom or the nation of Israel has a certain kind of dominance over the rest of the world. That's, that's the terms in which it's portrayed. But it's really speaking about the church. Jesus rules the world through his yoke. He puts a yoke upon the world as we hear from our gospel text. Jesus has come and put my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's a sort of a dominion, it's an authority that has as its effect peace. And it's the task of the church to bring Jesus' worldwide kingdom of peace to the whole world. We as Catholics have an immense responsibility. The Catholic Church is the moral compass of the entire world. We are the only 
institution, visible society, that claims to be an heir of Jesus' gospel, that is spread over the whole world. We have the task of bringing the kingdom of God to the world. And how we do that is through the, the church's social doctrine. And so the issue, for example, one of the many issues of the church's social doctrine it has to do with racism. This is a very live issue right now. Of course, we can see the news. It's really a big deal and in our own country. The scourge of racism, it's a very real thing. It's a very real thing. And uh, what, I would, uh, what I would propose to us all as a kind of a practical takeaway when it comes to the issue of racism is simply the following. It's a challenge. I'll speak for myself. I'm not in contact a lot just by nature of where I live and uh, the aspects or the, the elements of my job and my ministry. I'm not in contact with black people a lot. Okay? But I know there's one concrete thing that I can do to fight racism. And we can all do the same. No matter where we live or whether we come into contact with black people or not. There's one thing that we can do. And that is this. It's to properly understand that racism is really a subset of a bigger problem, of a bigger issue. That bigger issue is how do we relate to people who are different than us? How do we relate to the other? How do we treat those who are not exactly like us? They don't they don't have the exact same background, they have different political views, they have different philosophies, they have different family of origins, they have different life experiences. They they might look different than us. That's kind of the bigger issue here, okay? So racism is really just a, a kind of a species or a subset of that bigger problem. And because of our fallen human nature, our sinful inclination, we have a tendency to be afraid of those who are different from us. So if we want to be a people of reconciliation, if we want to be a people whose task it is to actually take two parties that would otherwise be at odds with each other and actually bring them together, we have to engage in what the church refers to as dialogue. And this is the Holy Spirit who's, that's been speaking to the church for the past 50, 60 years since the Second Vatican Council. The watchword is dialogue. Dialogue presupposes two different parties or individuals who come into conversation with each other and are willing and open to be surprised and to learn something about the other person. Dialogue is the key to peace. And so, if we serve the Prince of Peace, whose dominion is to extend the world over and is to bring peace to the whole world, we have to be a people of dialogue. We can't be afraid to come into contact with people who are different from us. And there's at least one concrete thing that we can all do in our lives. And ultimately, it's the way to fight racism and every other form of discrimination and prejudice. And that is, is there a person in your life, family member, a friend, a co-worker, someone who moves in your circle, who you have a tendency to talk about instead of to talk to? Is there a person that you really need to have a hard conversation with? You don't understand what they're doing. Their behavior is offensive. 
Okay? People's feelings are getting hurt. Something like that is going on. And you're like, what is with this person? Is there someone in your life like that? And if there is, that is the opportunity to dialogue. And I've been blessed in my own life, many, many occasions in my life, where someone's had differences with me, I've had differences with them. They might have initiated the dialogue, maybe I initiated the dialogue. However it happens, it turned out awesome. I was closer to that person after the dialogue than I was before. There was a sense of deep peace that just was not there beforehand. You know, the thing about people who are different than us is there's this whole realm of the unknown about them. It's like a black box. There's all these elements about this person you don't understand. And so what happens is we begin to fill in that blank space with our own presuppositions and prejudices and imaginings. Okay? And uh, oftentimes... They're not accurate, those presuppositions and those prejudices. And so that's why dialogue is so healing and beautiful because it takes the darkness and the unknown factor out of the equation. Suddenly, you understand and you are understood. And that's what brings about that reconciliation and that peace. You know, three, three little proverbs here. When I was uh, preparing for the priesthood, I, I was in um, a chaplaincy program at Strong Memorial Hospital in Rochester. And we did part of that program with some group therapy. There were just some very simple, common-sense things that we learned that I've always taken with me. And the first one was this. Can you read minds? Can you read minds? No. You really can't read minds. And sometimes we operate as if we can. Oh, the person did this or said this, and this is what they meant by it, and this is what they mean, and this is what they think about me, so forth and so on. Now, every once in a while, our guesses are, are accurate, but more often than not, they're, they're not accurate. And so we check it out. We actually ask the person, do you think this about me? What, you know, what do you think? And, and you, you enter into dialogue. And that takes vulnerability that takes true charity and love for the other person. Second, can we predict the future? Can you predict the future? No, you can't predict the future. Oftentimes we're, we have a tendency to say, well, I'm not going to have this conversation with this person. I'd rather just not talk about it with them. I'd rather talk about it with someone else. Okay, I'm not going to talk to the person because I think that they're going to fly off the handle and it's going to get really ugly and it's going to get worse than it already is. All right? See, you're trying to predict the future. And you can't do that. And I think probably many of us have had experiences, and again, certainly I've had many, many experiences where I say, well, let's, let's jump in. Let's go into that unknown zone, that place of darkness, confidence in God, and... I can't predict the future. I don't know what the outcome of this dialogue is going to be. More often than not, I, I can actually say every time, it's been very positive. It's been very good. It's been very, very healing. And uh, it's affected reconciliation in a, in a wonderful, wonderful way. So we can't read minds, can't predict the future. And my brothers and sisters, 
We need to dialogue. We need to dialogue. We can't get rid of big societal problems like racism and other forms of discrimination if on a person-to-person basis we don't have the courage and the charity to dialogue with others. And if we have that by God's grace and with his help, we're going to be a people of peace and we're going to be servants of the king of peace whose yoke is light and whose dominion in the world brings about peace.